all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Fall is in full swing as I am away on a retreat this week, one that we call Rest. I'm with about 100 worship leaders from all over the country. We're experiencing the quintessential elements of fall around here. We have a little coffee shop at our disposal, campfires at night. There's a huge lake with a dock, lots of falling leaves, and let me tell you, You've never heard anything until you've heard a room full of worship leaders sing to the top of their lungs to Jesus in a tiny chapel in the woods. It's literally heavenly. We intentionally keep this retreat really small so that we can have conversations with about every leader, and hopefully we're able to encourage them somehow as they've been faithful to get away and rest. My friend Todd Fields and I, along with Kim Walker-Smith, mentor some of these worship leaders online through a program that Todd created called Worship Circle. This gives us the ability to train leaders right from our home, and sometimes I even keep my pajama bottoms on, but I don't tell anyone. So I'm like sweater and earrings on top, and then I'm just rocking pajama pants below. But again, I promise this isn't a paid ad. It's just neat to be able to provide resources for worship leaders and overall direction while also sharing from our own story along the way. I told my group the other day, if you can learn from a lot of my mistakes now, then that makes it all worth it. Last week, we had a special guest on Worship Circle named Paul Belosh. Paul and his wife, Rita, have been married for about 30 years and were a part of the worship movement years and years ago that eventually Nathan and I caught up with in our early 20s. So God used Paul and his wife and their songs and leading in those early days to truly shape our lives as leaders. Paul went on to write songs like, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. So there's quite a track record there, and it was just so amazing to hear from him. And by the way, don't you like it how I just sing lines out of nowhere in my podcast? Um, Anyway, it was neat to hear from someone who has been leading worship longer than we have, and they still have such a passion for God and for His people and what it truly means to get to lead people in worship. And I sat there and I was so encouraged the whole time and reminded, oh yeah, it's such a privilege to get to do what we do. And I don't ever want to forget that. One of the things that Paul talked about was being really, really young, a musician, just newly saved, young married, and wanting to know so much more about God, just this hunger to grow. And he shared about hearing of such leaders as Kelly Willard and Keith Green, people who very much shaped the worship movement that Paul would step into. And like I said, Nathan and I eventually stepped into and benefited greatly from the path that all of these people charted long ago. But what I loved most was Paul talked about basically being a kid And just getting to be around those people, just willing to do whatever it took to serve them so that he could learn more. He said that he mowed their lawns, did their dishes, really whatever he could do to just get to be around them and soak it all in. And I was so glad that those leaders could hear him say this because I feel like this concept is maybe lost on this generation a bit. I think because of social media, there's this expectation with our kids now that everything has to be instant, instant success even. But Paul shared that this community of people formed into a church eventually, one that he and his wife Rita would serve for 26 years. But when he started out leading, he told us that he earned $50 a week 
And they even threw in a storage room at the church that he could clean out for an office space. But I loved hearing that, and it made me go down memory lane in a lot of ways to groups of people along the way that Nathan and I were privileged to run into on our journey early on that very much shaped us as people and as leaders. From our earliest moments of marriage, we were a part of a church plant in Edmond, Oklahoma called Edmond Fellowship. Back then, it was called that, but I think it's Bridgeway Church now. I don't know that anyone that was pastoring then is pastoring there now, but it's just neat to know that a church exists there still, and we got to be a part of the very beginnings of that. The pastor's wives then, Bev and Jan, they invested so much in us, younger, newlywed people. I remember one night when we all went to eat Mexican food, and Nathan and I didn't have a credit card to our name for the first eight years of our marriage how we got away with that, I have no idea, but we were determined not to have any debt in our marriage early on, so we just had cash sometimes. And this night at the Mexican restaurant was one of those nights we didn't have quite enough cash on us to cover our bill, but one of those pastors and their wife just slipped us some cash real quick. You live and learn. I think about Rockettown Records when we first signed a record deal. This was before we had kids, so we spent a lot of time just hanging out at the old historic home that housed our record label. And I remember things like if a toilet was dirty in the office, I don't know what came over me, but I cleaned it. If another artist's press kits needed to be stuffed or put together, Nathan and I would do it. We weren't trying to be goody two-shoes, I promise. We just actually didn't know any different. It was how we were brought up and somehow just went with the territory of like earning your keep. Of course, when our eyes were open a little bit down the road to what the real world is like, it made sense to us why the Rockettown staff would just kind of giggle at us back then. But I also think of First Baptist Houston, a place where we got to pour in and serve every Monday night at what was called Metro Bible Study, a gathering of about 2,000 young adults that would come to the heart of Houston after work on a Monday night and worship together. In our minds, we were getting to fill some big shoes because a group called Cademan's Call had been the house band there the years before us. And we were very fond of their music, and it was such an honor for us to get to step into something that someone else had literally sewn all those years. It was such a privilege. Those were the years that Beth Moore and I talked about when she was a guest on my podcast. Such sweet years at an amazing church. And then, of course, I think of Passion Conferences. This coming Passion Conference, which is a gathering of collegiate students from all over the world each January, this will be our 20th year getting to serve college students. I'll never forget, it was the place where I first was introduced to the idea of living for God's glory and His renown. Their founding scripture was and still is Isaiah 26, 8. Yes, Lord, walking in your way of truth, we wait for you, for your name and your renown is the desire of our souls. When Nathan and I started serving passion conferences, we were not much older than college students. In fact, Nathan graduated from college the same year that the first passion conference started. So though we served at the first one, it really was geared towards us as well, and God used it to shape our lives in a profound and lasting way. It's just a sweet reminder that there's a time for everything, and there's much to be learned in your 20s and 30s of serving underneath other leaders. Like Joshua served Moses all those years, he would have never been able to see what he got to see and be a part of what he did had he not been underneath that kind of leadership in his younger years. He may not have even ever been entrusted with crossing over the Jordan or the destruction of Jericho had he not sat under the leadership of Moses all those years. Even if you are a visionary, 
or a script writer, like I like to say, sometimes you figure out your own script by reading someone else's for a while. It's in those very moments that God can shape your own desires, your goals, your ideas, and your people skills for that matter. It's just such a learning tool for when you're in the hot seat and you're the one calling the shots and you step up to the plate and pray that God parts the Jordan like He did the Red Sea. Anyway, it's just good stuff for all of us to be reminded of. And it got me thinking, I want to make sure that we instill that in our kids, that everything doesn't have to come instantly. Sometimes it's long days of washing dishes or mowing lawns in order to get to someday be the person whose dishes and lawn are getting done. I'm thankful for parents who instilled this in me early on. But again, we didn't have this everything has to be instant epidemic that our kids now have to deal with. There's a time for everything under the sun. And I know last week I talked about God calling me out from hiding because I had begun to trust in others and leaders and brands to keep me on the map. So it's just a good thing to remember that He leads us in and He leads us out. There's a time for both. Deuteronomy 28, 6 says, you will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Psalm 128 says, The Lord will watch your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. And Ecclesiastes 3 says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. The goal is always, and this is what I want to instill in my kids, complete dependence on the Lord so that your service can be the most rewarding along the way. In other words, don't serve something just to get to the top. Just serve. Trust that He's got your cause and serve your butt off and let the Lord promote you. Well, because there's no shortage of stories to be told around here, you get little old me again today. We do have some guests coming in the weeks ahead, but since we are literally only two weeks away from the launch of my Christmas record, I wanted to tell some stories leading up to the launch. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to wrap your head around Christmas too much. I literally feel like school just started, but let's face it, that was in August, and it's only about two weeks until November. According to Fortune.com, get this, in a new survey from CreditCards.com, 34 million people have already started their Christmas shopping, and 1 million people say they've already finished. But let's sigh a big relief because the majority of shoppers say they won't finish until December, and even 30% say they won't be finished until Christmas Eve. Even though the shopping festivities have begun for some people, there was mention of the complaints about what's called the Christmas creep, which is basically how the holiday displays and advertising creep in earlier and earlier every year. I mean, we already go straight from school supplies to Halloween and then Halloween to Frosty and Rudolph, so I'm not really sure how much earlier it can creep in, but you know what? I really don't feel like focusing on what's already wrong with our world because we already know what's going wrong. So I'd love to be one of the voices in the middle of your day today that sided with what's actually right about today. I want to be the one who's pointing to what we can believe in and fully live for, and Christmas shopping will get done. I'm speaking that over you now, so please just fully hug your pumpkins and sit on your hay bales and sip your PSL. PSL is code for pumpkin spice latte, by the way. (laughs) I just want you to have full permission to savor those things as we delve into a little bit of Christmas. Please don't let my Christmasness stress you today. My hope is to remind myself and all of us through these podcasts that there's so much purpose in what we've been given to walk in each day, and we do have to take it day by day. Even all of us planners, day by day, still has to run its course. And like I said last week, we plan, but the Lord determines our steps. And as we all know, life is not smooth sailing day by day. 
especially when plans change. Our daughter Ellie has been sick for two weeks, and it turned into pneumonia, which has just not been fun. I had to take her in for three days straight so they could put two shots in her legs each morning to try to get ahead of this monster that's been in her lungs. And I realize that doesn't even touch what some of you are dealing with at home with your kids, but I just get life's interruptions, and there's just so much more I could say around all of that. Last week's podcast, you should have seen the interruptions that were happening when we were trying to record it. It literally got comical at the same time I was about to pull my hair out. I literally said out loud, the devil hates this one. (laughs) Anyway, I can assure you that the struggle is real here as well today, and I'm just with you day by day. But today, what's lovely and true is that we get the opportunity to start our own little Christmas creep, glorious in the mundane style hopefully a whole different mindset than what the world is apparently already offering at your local mall today. So to let you in on the story, a little bit of a secret is that we kind of, at least I think, we kind of took some risks on my Christmas album. Any great artist and record executive would tell you to list your most exciting and energetic songs first, or sort of the songs that are maybe your best ones at the very top of the record, and you kind of work your way down. It was tempting, I will say, not to follow the natural flow of how we would normally let the songs play down the record, but I wanted this record to follow a pattern or tell a story, if you will. Every word and tone of the songs are intentional, and it's also that we might stop and think, contemplate, listen, remember, and be still inside of what really becomes, for a lot of us, the busiest time of the year. My friend Lisa Harper has been on the road with us for the Lifeway Women's Events called Abundance. In fact, we're going to be in Frisco, Texas this coming weekend. So if you're in the area, come see us. But she came up to me at the last one we were at, and she said, Christy, worship this morning was like the uneven steps of the temple. I'd actually never heard of this before, but she went on to tell me that the steps going into the temple are irregular. They vary in length, some being long, some being short. And of course, this was done on purpose because everything God does is done with purpose. But this was to slow people as they made their way to worship. And when she said that to me, not only was I taken back by it, it made me think of my Christmas album, actually, and the reasons behind the songs I chose and the order that I chose them in. The purpose is to slow our pace and open our hearts, to plan ahead, to build in time for expectation and anticipation. I don't know about you, but any time that I can come up with simple but sacred practices in my home that point to what we live for and what we're about and what we're waiting for and what we're expecting, I want to be all about that, even if it's just as simple as a candle lit over dinner each night during the season. It's evidence of remembrance together. I remember my chiropractor in Atlanta told me one time, he would light a candle in his office every morning as a way of remembering that he's not working alone and helping people feel better. Rather, he's working along with the Creator to help people. And I love that. So he's like, every time I look up at the candle, I'm reminded I'm not alone in this room and he's helping me help people. So I love it. I think simple things can go a really long way. A side note on simple things traditions. I like to change up our Christmas traditions and add new ones. And even, you know, we've grown out of some of them. Although we still make our kids do a gingerbread house contest, except ours are actually graham cracker shacks, really held together by basically melting sugar, which becomes the hottest hot glue ever. So be careful if you do that. But one that I want to bring in from my own childhood 
a tradition that makes the holiday season feel most like Christmas to me is our happy birthday Jesus cake. My mom started this tradition with us a long time ago. We declared that the cake would always be white on white, white cake, white icing, and those little edible silver balls that actually aren't really that edible. Um, But we would always have the cake after our Christmas meal, and we'd gather around and actually sing happy birthday to Jesus, candles and all. And it was always a really sweet way to focus our time together on the celebration of Jesus' birth, especially when our kids were little. I remember one year we had shared our Christmas meal together, and we all went in the front room to snap a family photo all together, which took forever because there's a lot of us. And we did the timer and the tripod and the whole thing. And this, of course, just takes time. We had a lot of grandbabies in the room. We have to do the silly photo at the end. Little did we know that Cassie, our yellow Labrador, was in the kitchen sampling the happy birthday Jesus cake. When we went in to have our dessert, one side of the cake had been chomped. And we all, of course, freaked out. (laughs) My mom was freaking out. Then we just had a good laugh. We cut off all the places with teeth marks, and we just enjoyed it anyway. Last year, we started a new tradition with the kids. We had them each carry a candle to their bed, and we read a Christmas book at their bed by candlelight. And then we blow out the candle just after saying goodnight. I don't know. I think I saw it on like Little Women, the movie, and I just like the simplicity and the glow of a simple candle before bed on Christmas Eve. I just think it's precious, and the kids felt like it was a night that was set apart. At least the girls did. Noah just kind of looked at us like we were crazy. (laughs) He's 16. So anyway, I was actually surprised by how many original songs came forth when I was writing for this project. We even had to drop some of them in the end as to include a lot of familiar songs because we thought that was very important too. So pretty early on in the process, the idea came to me for this story to have this arch like I was telling you about. It all started in the car one day, driving, and thinking about the political climate of our world right now. And I started humming this tune, and eventually some words came around it. The King is coming. Open up your eyes to see it. Open up your ears to hear it. The King is coming. Open up your mind, believe it. Open up your heart, receive Him. I thought about the prophets of old foretelling the birth of Christ, Prophets like Isaiah, even 700 years before the birth of Christ, declaring, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. I have to say, as strange as it sounds, I did think just as much about the second coming of Christ during the making of this album as I did about the incarnation. must just be that spirit of Advent I was talking about, just covering this project. Maybe because of the times that we're living in, it just doesn't seem too far out of reach that he could break through this present darkness at any moment. Talk about the thrill of hope. I decided that The King is Coming would bookend the record. So both offerings of this, representing the hope of his coming, in the beginning, it foretells his birth. And at the end, it announces that we should be alert that he's coming again. A side note about The King is Coming prelude, we had the kids sing on it because it's kind of Narnian when you hear it. Actually, six of the grandkids on my side of the family were in the room, and so I told them that they could be like the prophets of old singing on this song, foretelling the birth of the coming king. And call me crazy, but I had them actually pray out loud on a couple of the passes, praying that people would know, maybe for the first time, that Jesus, the Messiah, has come. 
You'll notice at the end of the record that the king is coming follows Joy to the World, which I have learned was not actually originally written as a Christmas hymn, but a hymn about the second coming of Christ. So it's there to be enjoyed, obviously, as a familiar Christmas hymn, but more importantly, to declare that he's coming again and to open up our hearts and receive him. As the record plays on, if you listen close, you'll hear the journey unfold in the songs of expectation, the glorious announcement, the long-awaited arrival, the life He offers us in the here and now, which is the fun section of the record, I will say. It includes a song even that Nathan and I wrote for our family, our first year of marriage, because we were poor and we didn't have money to buy everyone gifts, so we wrote them a song. So that's in that part. But the truth is, if you're like us, you can always put it on shuffle, and you can hear my version of the classic Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas first if you want, if you don't want the whole story unfolding thing. Whatever order you listen in, I hope that this record gives you that uneven steps of the temple kind of approach to Christmas this year across the board. Now, it's not to say that the whole thing is chill. There's a full-out jig on this record, I need to tell you. It's called Dance at Migdal Eider, and I'll tell you more about it later. But in my artistic eye, I see the shepherds that the angels just appeared to, maybe back at home in a cave, just after the appearance of this heavenly host announcing the birth of Christ. And let's face it, that probably made them about Peter Pants or whatever kind of shepherd cloak they were wearing. But I envision them back with their families and children, dancing the night away that the one true sacrificial lamb had come, the one that would lay down his life for all. They wouldn't be singing in English, of course, but if they were singing, I imagine them singing, can you hear it calling? Mercy is falling down. Heaven rejoices this Christmas. Love is calling. Love is calling you home. When we sent this song to be mixed by the mixing engineer, I actually sent him a YouTube clip of the Meriton Assembly Dance 3 in Pride and Prejudice, the newest film version, of course, which is when Mr. Darcy is first introduced. And although the dances may feel regal to us, because this is so far from anything our culture experiences, unfortunately, it's not so regal to Mr. Darcy, but rather on the raw side, as he's a city boy visiting the country. But I wanted this jig... And I'll tell you why, like I said later, that it's called Dance at Migdal Eider. But I wanted it to feel regal, but raw. A true celebration of the people who understand the weight of the Messiah's birth and why we have reason to celebrate in such a way. In real life, I imagine you baking cookies with your family, and all of a sudden, this jig comes on and an all-out dance party breaks out with stomping, clapping, square dancing, whatever comes to your heart. Or I imagine those of you with little kids that this is the one they request in the minivan over and over this season. I can see their little legs bouncing now from their car seats. You'll hear some amazing fiddle playing by Ross Holmes, formerly of Mumford & Sons. It's just fun. That's all there is to it. Good, plain fun, but deep, deep meaning behind it all, as always. As you can tell, I'm just a little bit partial and excited to share all this with you. And there's so many songs that have deep meanings that I can't wait to tell you about along the way. But as promised, I wanted to tell the story around why an Amaryllis on the cover. Before it was the cover art, it was a song. But long before it was a song, it was a birthday gift for my sister-in-law, Kristen Hill. Married to my brother, Eric, Kristen is a beautiful woman of God. She's also a gorgeous mother, writer, Bible study teacher, daughter, sister, and friend. In fact, I want to have her on as a guest one of these days because she's just a jewel of a person. Kristen and Eric have a ministry called With You, and you can actually learn more about them at withyouministries.com. They have faithfully walked with God no matter what the cost. 
and just pastoring people and walking with people in their community over the last several years. Eric served as a youth pastor on staff at several large churches their first decade or so of marriage. And now, being raised as a pastor's kid himself and having served on staff, Eric has a special heart for pastors and people in leadership roles of all kinds, just walking with them on a deep level and encouraging leading from a place of rest, which you've heard me talk about a ton. In fact, many of my own spiritual epiphanies have been through Eric and Kristen walking beside me through some of the most difficult seasons of my life. For my birthday a few years ago, in a particularly very dark and heavy season of my life, they gave me a beautiful white ceramic pot with what just looked like a pile of dirt inside of it. But with it was this letter written by Kristen. It was titled, Amaryllis Prayers. She writes, I thought of you immediately when I saw this potted amaryllis, the flower that will bloom your signature red sitting in its white ceramic pot. I knew instantly that I wanted our family to give you this bloom as part of the way that we're celebrating you and praying for you right now in this season. I'm hoping it will be a beautiful, tangible picture of our prayers for you in the coming weeks and months. We have this common thread in our family. We are all drawn to the rich symbolism we find in the beauty of God-created things, trees, vines, and blooms, the way a tree takes root, the way a branch is nourished from the vine the way beautiful things need necessary tending to bring forth more beauty, the way a flower and fruit is the visible display of what it is created to be by its creator. We love the marking of seasons and how we can trust that God is working in ways we cannot see to bring forth life and beauty. We know that every season is named with purpose. A season of sowing brings forth a season of harvest. In the same way, the harsh cold of winter brings a season of dying, a necessary bridge to the awaiting season of warmth, sunlight, and new life. It is a trustworthy ebb and flow reflecting the consistent touch of the Creator. The winter is beautiful underneath its blanket of white, but it is cold and harsh to the living thing determined to grow. Everyone knows that the season for blooming is in the warmth of the new spring. Its gentle breezes and warm sun send a message to a sleeping world that all things are becoming new. It would take great courage to grow and bloom in the bitterness of winter. There's no welcoming afternoon sun, no invitation to rest in the gentle breeze, no rush of new life in the surrounding soil. But there are the rare and beautiful treasures that choose to bloom when the conditions are the darkest. In the dark bleakness of winter, the amaryllis will spring up, pushing through the soil, displaying the beauty it was created to share. Sure, it would be easier to wait until the comfort of spring. The blooms might even be bolder and brighter with the consistent nourishment and protection the new life-giving season would bring. But the amaryllis bulb knows it cannot wait. It was created to bloom and grow. It bears life and growth and has beauty coursing through every inside part. It cannot and will not wait for the gentleness of spring. The amaryllis does not bloom because the conditions are perfect. The conditions are, in fact, counterintuitive to new life. The amaryllis blooms in winter, even still. It will not look to the world around it and depend on it for nurturing or care. It will instead obey the world within it and become exactly what it was created to be. It was made to bloom and grow, to bear the image of the beauty inside itself, set there by a creator, not bound by time or season. So for you, Christy, in this season, we are praying amaryllis prayers. 
Prayers for courage to break through the soil and bloom, even when it's dark, even when it's cold. Prayers to feel the power of Jesus coursing through your veins, calling forth the beauty He set inside you. As you see this amaryllis struggle to break through and grow and bloom over the next few weeks and months, may it be a picture to you of our prayers for you and of what we steadfastly believe will be a part of what God has for you in this next season. We love you, and we are with you, and we are trusting a Jesus that brings the amaryllis to bloom in winter. Love, Kristen. Every day I waited with the anticipation for something, anything, to break through the soil of that little ceramic pot. Finally, one day, a tiny green shoot pushed through, and as I watched it grow taller and taller through that Christmas season and gloriously bloom, I'd find myself pondering on Jesus more than ever. He certainly didn't arrive when conditions were perfect. In fact, He arrived in the midst of a silence and a winter that the world had never known. And to quote the song, Amaryllis, just when we thought we'd never see spring, heaven gave a king. As I've shared the significance of the Amaryllis with different people along this journey, the response has been amazing. In fact, several people have told me stories of how their relatives or friends store their Amaryllis bulbs in the darkest, coldest corners of their basements because they somehow store more energy this way. Imagine that. It's just this gorgeous picture yet again of God's intentionality and creativity in a simple houseplant, His glory and His beauty and His story all around us. This is the thing that moves and inspires me the most as a songwriter is when I discover yet again that God Himself is incredibly creative. When I somehow uncover what appears to be great and thoughtful intentionality on His part, honestly, nothing compels me more. I spent a lot of time in preparation of this record retracing the family tree of Jesus, our family tree. And Voskamp's The Greatest Gift was a beautiful guide as I began to take a journey through this fragile family that he called his very own, a family full of thieves and harlots, liars and backstabbers. When you read over the chosen line that Christ came from, that we came from, you realize that hope has been the theme from the very beginning. Jesus, like the Amaryllis, surprised the night when we least expected it. His love broke through, and He shined, pushing through the hardness of winter on our behalf. He has and always will be a new life, and this very life He offers to us today. No matter how dark and bleak our condition may be, we too can surprise the night because of the world set within us by our Creator once we've believed upon Him. And in a winter of our own, He asks us to break through the hardness of the freeze, through hardships of life, our hopes dashed, the death of things dear to us. He asks us to shine like He shines, surprising the night around us with a thrill of hope that looks like the brilliance of summer right in the middle of winter. We can do all of this because He is with us now, here, making all things new again. I think back to that white ceramic pot, which I still have, of course, and I think, little did I know, there was so much beauty that was going to unfold from it during both a winter of season and of soul for me that year. Hope would unfold. Jesus would unfold in a new way to me. Then a song, then a record, now a podcast. It was just so amazing getting to surprise Kristen this summer with the song Amaryllis, which I made her a songwriter on because I ended up pulling some lines straight from her letter and put them in the song. And besides, there wouldn't even have been a song called Amaryllis had it not been 
for her thoughtfulness and insight during what was a really rough season for me, and their prayers covering me, and then even following through with, here's what we're praying for you during this season. So now, it's my honor, I humbly present to you the first sneak peek of The Thrill of Hope in a song called Amaryllis. about a winter the world had never known and talk about a silence that hardened up the soil no more life left in Eden but you knew the time would come cause you were growing up a family that you would call your own and through a fragile people the light of life would come when it seemed like we never see spring heaven gave a king like an Christmas Oh, there are 
Sometimes God uses the ones who know you best, who speak in at just the right time and say just the right thing that your aching heart needs to hear. Sometimes He uses a voice on a podcast or a song. One time He even opened a donkey's mouth and used that so He can use anyone and anything to get His point across. I pray you've heard Him today and that it falls on good soil in your soul. If there's anything I've been surprised by on this Christmas album journey, it's that this story is worth telling yet again. It's the greatest rescue story of all time. There are still those who have never heard and those who have yet to see. Even if I could be a part of telling the story in such a way that one soul might know it's worth this Christmas, one heart experiencing the hope of Jesus for the first time, it would all be worth it to me. The album releases November 4th, but next Friday, October 28th, you can pre-order the album on iTunes for one week only at the crazy price of $7.99. And you'll immediately get the song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, as an instant download. And that will give you another taste of what you're going to get with this record. There's 14 tracks on this album. So $7.99 at a week only, you can get that for a steal. So I would do all your Christmas shopping then. Just wanted you to know about it. (laughs) So as you finish that PSL, have a glorious rest of your day. I hope you finish strong and are incredibly encouraged that Jesus' love broke through for you so that you could break through whatever you face today, this glorious day that He made for you. I'll talk to you soon, friends.